Okay. <clears throat> we are picking up chapter 7. Talking about the doctrine of creation. Before we go too far or get into that, do you have any questions about anything up to this point? We'll try to answer. Don't make any guarantees, but we will try. Anything uh, after the discussion last week on the Trinity? None? should be right in line with all the rest of us. We know only what we know, remember? So thinking about creation as a doctrine. How did God create the world? Spoken into being? Out of nothing. Out of nothing. Out of nothing. Did he create every different kind of plant and animal directly? Or did he just create maybe large categories and then leave it up to natural progression for things to appear? Did he use some kind of evolutionary process guiding the development of living things from the simplest to the most complex? Don't have any theistic evolution advocates in here? No. I got a question. This is going to be boring. I don't know what theistic evolution means, but as I read in Genesis here, um, but then does that mean that what was created then nothing you know, I mean, we have the same animals today that, that God created back then that's a good question I wasn't there so I, I can't I, speak I to it specifically so <coughs> now Bob might have been there yeah. Bob when, you asked, to when you asked the question a minute ago and I can't exactly what the verbiage was but to me it was if I think about it then I say okay God created plants and he created animals but then over time
mean, it may be part of his natural process. Have have these animals and plants evolved, which was part of his original plan. Not to say that. I mean, I, I firmly believe the creation story and God spoke it out of nothing. But, the, but was that just the set then, or could part of his plan be okay? And then they have evolved since. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to define some terms when we start talking about these things. And when we think about um, evolution, evolutionary theory, and his theory, in spite of what most school classrooms, textbooks say today, uh, in fact, I would even say it's almost a religion. Evolutionary theory implies um, that there, there is uh, new species that occurs, in other words, large changes, in other words, you have you have reptiles that become birds, and birds then become, you know, apes become humans. Major shifts in species, okay? That's what evolutionary theory advocates. That's what Darwin pushed for. There's also terminology, we think about mutation. This is, uh, this is a much smaller change. This is, you know, Labradors becoming boxers, you know, they're still dogs. Yeah, yeah my question is more toward mutation. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, mutation is something that we see happening with, uh, I don't have a good example off the top of my head, but I'm gonna, we're gonna get into that a little bit. <laughs> here and unpack some of it, but trying to get the terminology right, evolutionary theory as advocated by Darwin, as encouraged by a lot of our public school system and science today, is talking about sweeping species changes that take place, you know, that missing links and, and those kind of things, versus variances, mutations within a species, mm -hmm. okay? So, so this is um, within the species. So the species doesn't change, but some of the characteristics of that species may change. And that would go with individual specific to kind, that, this, that the changes are within that specific kind. Like we talk, you know, we, we talk about dogs or cows or whatever, but they are specific to that breed or kind. Yeah. <clears throat> Hair gets thicker because they're living in a colder climate, maybe. I don't know. You know, minor things, minor things that make reasonable sense to reasonable people. Okay? So we're going to unpack a little bit of that in a minute. You know, I think everything that exists, God created it. We think there's a mutation. You know, we're just now learning about what God created. 
Like it's like creative. God didn't know we're going to be creative. You, you, you know? Right. But we what, just may not be catching up with the knowledge of some people that exist. Yeah, we don't know all the things that were created. But we have every reason to believe that what was created either is extinct or it's still there with possibly some mutations and variances in it. That there have been, what we're saying is, evolutionary theory says there have been major changes that have happened over large periods of time, billions of years, versus creationism would say God created everything according to its kind, and there have been minor, reasonable, reasonable to understand mutations or variances within species, but not major shifts. Some of the things that God created in the beginning may be extinct or might not be with us anymore, but you know, we don't have we don't have any evidence that apes actually have become humans. Okay? You know, if if they have, then why can't we find one that's half and half? Why do we still have apes? You know? So we're not going to answer all those things, but we will unpack, try to unpack some of it a little bit. We'll, that'll get you fired up and going. So let me get a couple of these other things out of the way before we get into it. The doctrine of creation. God created the entire universe out of nothing. It's very important. The Latin phrase, ex nihilo, means nothing in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth he, that implies the, the, the phraseology there in Hebrew implies everything it's all encompassing Psalm 33 6 by the word of the Lord the heavens were made and all their host by the breath of his mouth for he spoke and it came to be he commanded and it stood forth John 1 3 all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1.16 For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Visible and invisible. It's interesting, right? Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews 11.3 By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. What does that mean? Because God created the entire universe out of nothing, no matter in no matter in the universe is eternal. If God created it, then there's no matter, no working materials here that are eternal. Everything came into existence when God created them. Therefore, Nothing is worthy of worship other than God himself because all these things are far inferior to God. I had a question pop up my mind. In the area of mutation, um, if you look at microbiology, every year it seems like we come up with a new virus, a new flu, something that wasn't there before. Is that a mutation? Or is, what's happening? It's all called flu. <laughs> It's yeah, all a virus. It's different it's ones coming out of nowhere. Yeah. You don't have ones this year you didn't have last year. 
different strains. Different there. strains. Uh, my wife would tell you, being a nurse, that a lot of our problems with some of the things that we get sick with today is because we have been we have not used our medicines correctly. Like antibiotics is that people will take antibiotics. A 10-day prescription, they'll take it for six days, they get to feeling better, and they stop. It doesn't kill the virus. The virus goes dormant for a little bit and comes back, and it comes back stronger. It's more resistant to the antibiotics because it's gotten immune to them, you know? And so we bring a lot of this on ourselves by the way we treat things. David, I don't have any knowledge, medically speaking, to be able to address what you're saying, but... Uh, I wouldn't think that it's created something <coughs> completely new. When you when you think about um, a species, you know, I mean, we'd be talking about some kind of sickness that, you know, the world has never known before. Uh, and I don't know that we have, that we have enough knowledge among us. You might. Did you stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night? I mean, you. If matter existed apart from God, then what inherent right would God have to rule over it and use it for His glory? It doesn't, but if it did, then there would be a case to be made there. What confidence could we have that the very aspect of the universe will ultimately fulfill God's purposes if some parts of it were not created by Him? The direct creation of Adam and Eve... Genesis 2, verse 7, verses 21 through 23. This is what, what they say. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Verses 21 through 23. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman. And brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Now there's lots of differences among even Christians about evolution and its supposed role in creation. But Grudem points out <clears throat> that um, there's plenty of evidence here in the scripture to uh, reject what evolution puts before us. This is what he says. These texts are so explicit that it would be very difficult for someone to hold to the complete truthfulness of Scripture and still hold that human beings are the result of a long evolutionary process. This is because when Scripture says that the Lord formed man of dust from the ground, it does not seem possible to understand that to mean that he did it over a process that took millions of years and employed the random development of thousands of increasingly complex organisms. Even more impossible to reconcile with an evolutionary view is the fact that this narrative clearly portrays Eve as having no female parent. She was created directly from Adam's rib while Adam slept. But on a purely evolutionary view, this would not be possible for even the very first female human being would have been descended from some nearly human creature that was still an animal. That's the problem that evolutionary theory has, is they still have to find a beginning. They still have to explain where the first creature, first being came from. 
the first matter came from. You know, even to say that it exploded, the Big Bang Theory says that it, you know, you had this spontaneous combustion. Well, there still had to be something there to spontaneously combust, right? So they still have a first cause issue, no matter how uh, they want to explain it. And, and most people are figuring that out at this juncture in time. The work of the Son and the Holy Spirit in creation. God the Father was the primary agent in initiating the act of creation. The Son and the Spirit were also involved according to Scripture. The Son is often described as the one through whom creation came about. As I said earlier, John 1, verse 3, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, There is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. Colossians 1.16 says all things were created through Him and for Him. The Holy Spirit was also at work in creation. He's generally pictured as completing, filling, and giving life to God's creation, animating creation. Genesis 1.2, the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. The indication is one of preserving, sustaining, and governing the function of something. Job 33 and verse 4 says, The Spirit of God was made, has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm 104 verse 30. This is in speaking of the great variety of creatures on the earth and in the sea. It says, When you send forth your Spirit, they are created. Creation is distinct from God, yet it's always dependent upon God. What do you think that means? Creation is distinct from God and yet dependent upon God. Creation is self-created. Sorry? Creation is not self-created. Okay. God creates. Nothing created is God. God is above creation. creation he's involved in creation that he doesn't just start it and back off from it I'm sorry Hillary that was ugly of me <laughs> you get that somewhere else we don't want to know uh, what scripture teaches about the relationship between God and creation is unique among the religions of the world think about other religions and what they teach about God and his relationship with creation anything come to mind so many of them have a uh, a pair, a good God and an evil God, and they're okay. in continuing war, and as a result of all this warring. So there's kind of a dualistic yeah. uh, aspect of it. But think about um, you know, like Hinduism is just you know all about pantheism that God is in everything. You know, that's why you get um, 
you get water buffalo over there that may be somebody's relative, you know, and they think they're they're going to come back and be reincarnated, you know, that, that God is in everything, and so uh, you treat it that way. Uh, you get a lot of mythological type, you know, uh, aberrations out there that come from different religions. Uh, ours is, you know, Christianity is different in saying that God creates the universe. He is above, as David mentioned, the universe, and yet he is involved in the creation. You don't get that anywhere else. It's all kind of, kind of strange in that regard. The Bible teaches that God is distinct from creation, not part of it, but still involved in it. So he's not part of it. His personality isn't part of it, but he's still involved in it. God is transcendent. He's greater than his creation, Ephesians 4, 6. He is above his creation. He is independent of his creation. Remember we said uh, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago or something like that, we talked about how important it was that God be independent from it, not dependent upon it. He didn't create because he needed anything from the universe. He doesn't need any more glory than what he, than he had in the Trinity for all of eternity. Um, so there's no way that he is dependent upon this creation or anything else. The universe, though, is dependent upon him. He says he sustains it by the word of his power. That's what the word of God tells us. God is eminent, which means remaining in his creation, remaining a part of it, remaining involved in it. We find that in Colossians 1.17 and Hebrews 1.3 that we just read. God is very much involved in creation, not removed from it and uninterested in it. The Bible is the fascinating story revelation of God's involvement with creation. His redemption plan of something that is now marred that he created and his, his work to recreate it, to restore it, to make it new again. Uh, so common wrong beliefs we have. When you think about the most common wrong belief in today's world is materialism which believes that everything is contained in the universe there's no spirit world just physical stuff it's the most common philosophy of unbelievers today but basically it denies the existence of God there is a material world and that's all there is Then you have a pantheist pantheism, which says that God is in everything. So if the circle represents all of creation, that God is in it all. Now the implications that go along with pantheism, if the whole universe is God, then God has no distinct personality. God is no longer unchanging because the universe changes. Scientists tell us that, that the universe is expanding. It's expanding at a rapid rate. Uh, we see things changing all the time. We see stars go out, you know, we, and die. Uh, we see death all around us. So if God is in everything, then God is changing continually. God is no longer holy because the evil in the universe would then also be a part of, of God. There's no importance 
pertaining to individual human personalities, the goal there is to blend in with the rest of the universe. Dualism. Dualism has essentially God and the universe as separate entities. And they're traveling parallel lines. And they have always coexisted. And so they leave us with a lot of questions. Will God ever overcome sin and suffering? He hasn't to this point, hasn't shown us that he can or that he will, so therefore we don't know. Yes, sir? At what point does time come into all of this? There isn't any, any explanation of time as, as these philosophies unpack. Uh -huh. It's not like they say, because most people that hold to these particular philosophies, which are wrong philosophies, is they're basing it in a context of time is endless almost. It's, they're talking millions and billions of years. They throw out absurd numbers because none of us can relate to that. That's as close to being eternal as you can get without being eternal. That's the way I think they look at it. Is that they don't want to say eternal because then that gets over into divine, divinity, deity. So they just say time is kind of endless. It's kind of, you know, then we can't get our arms around it. Do you suppose that time even exists at this point? Uh, well, I don't, yeah, in their, in their world, in their thinking, it does, because what they need is that they need a lot of time for anything to work out the way they want it to work out. You know, this, this is just, these are mental pictures that people have, understandings that men devise in their own mind. These, these are things that they develop apart from truth, apart from God's truth. So they're trying to make it work out to suit themselves. Dualism. So what do we say? This is materialism. There is nothing but material. This is pantheism, which means God is in everything. What's mine in there? You're not going to say anything. <laughs> this is dualism. It had an eye. <laughs> I was thinking the wrong image. <laughs> you were. I'm just kidding. Just giving you a hard time, Hillary. <laughs> the uh, dualism, there is no ultimate good in the universe under this, under this system. The idea that both God and the material universe have eternally existed side by side, will God ultimately triumph over evil? Well, we can't be sure because both have coexisted side by side always. Star Wars is representative of dualism. You know, you got the, the force, force be with you. The force can be good or the force can be bad. Uh, and bad can actually be good, and good can be bad, right? Uh, didn't I'm not a Star Wars buff, but wasn't wasn't uh, Darth Vader? He was in Star Wars, right? Yeah. He he's, he was the bad guy, right? But then we find out that Luke Skywalker, the good guy, was his son. Yeah. See, so that's dualism trying to work out its own its own happy ending. Okay. Deism. Who knows what deism is? It's the view that God is not now directly involved in creation. 
Is she reading that out? Yes, I am. <laughs> so deism, much like dualism in that God is distinct from the universe <coughs> or creation. What does it mean when it says it? God is not now directly involved in the creation. Well, do, uh, deism believes, deists believe that God is a superior being, that he does exist, that he, is, he has creative powers. So he created the universe, but then like a watchmaker making a watch and winding it up and setting it on the shelf and then walking away, that that's what God has done with the universe. They, many, many deists do believe that there's going to be a day of reckoning, that God has moral standards, and that he's gonna he's gonna uh, judge at some day in the future, but the way that he functions now is that he had his hands in, he created it, and now he's not involved in the day-to-day -day things that go on in the world. We say Christianity says what? Scripture is says that he's sovereign, that he that he's over every detail, that he cares whether a blade of grass grows or not, or whether a bird falls, uh, that he knows the number of hairs on our heads, that, that God is that intimately involved in his creation, but deists say he's not. He's sitting back somewhere watching it all unfold, and at some point in time, he's going to get back involved and wrap it all up, but right now, he's just kind of aloof from it. Can you give examples of these, like there's one of the new age, Well, New Age, that's a loaded question because New Age includes everything. You know, New Age just says throw it all in a pot and see what comes out. But primarily New Ageism would, would probably fall here more than anywhere else. Some believe that our founding fathers were deists. Yeah, Thomas Jefferson. They believed in a, a, a deity that created everything, but they didn't believe that he had purpose uh, in our lives necessarily day by day by day. Um, Unitarianism too. What's that? Unitarians, they believe like... Well, they just believe everybody's going to... You're talking about universalism? Yeah. Uh, they believe everybody's going to heaven. Well, Unitarian Church too. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't know they enough about that. You're, you're talking about... You get, no, don't need the people. It just scratches all of them. These things, when you talk about these particular religions, you're, you're getting into more specifics these are philosophies. Okay, these are philosophies out of which religions flow. Okay, so if I'm a, uh, a pantheist and I may develop a new ageism, you know, because God's in everything, so I develop Hinduism, which is where we get a lot of our new ageism from, that God's in that chair, that God's in the uh, in the bug that hits my windshield on the way home, you know, that was my Aunt Susie, and now she's going to come back, hopefully, to a better life, you know. That's, but, but that comes, that flows out of, out of a philosophy, a worldview, okay, how you see the world, and this is how we see it. So deists see it this way, materialists see it this way, which is where you get a lot of atheism coming out of here. No spiritual stuff, just all physical matter. Pantheist, God's in everything. Kind of the pendulum swung all the way over here. And then dualism, God and the universe never meet. You know, they're not, they don't really have any common ground there.
God created the universe and is far greater than the universe. Talking about deism again. God, so God is transcendent. Deists also believe God is moral standards. I told you that. Made the clock, wound it up, letting it run. Many Christians act like deists. We say with our mouth, oh yeah, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe God's, you know, that God's in everything and working things out. But we actually live our lives like we, we're practicing deists. That we don't think God's involved. Because we go out and try to fix everything, don't we? George Mueller, he was a theist. Not a deist. George Mueller, you know, ran orphanages in, in England, London, Britain. He, uh, he was such a man of faith that he was running these orphanages with all these hungry children and get up in the morning there's nothing there's nothing there to eat well he would just go and start praying to God he didn't say anything to anybody he didn't tell anybody what the problem was he just went and started praying to God and you know when a bread truck wrecks out in front of the orphanage and they got to get rid of all the bread before it spoils so they asked the orphanage do you want this bread sure bring it in you know that stuff George Mueller had a lifetime of things like that going on because he had such faith and trust in God's intimate involvement in every detail of life. So, God created the universe. Why? To show His glory. Isaiah 43, 7, God created people for His own glory, for He speaks of His sons and daughters as those whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is not true only of human beings, but of the inanimate aspects of creation as well. Psalm 19, 1 and 2, the heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims His handiwork day to day, pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. Revelation 4, 11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you have created all things and by your will they existed and were created. God did not need to create the universe, as I said earlier. He was not lacking in any aspect of His glory, not necessary in order to complete Him in any way. He's absolutely independent of creation in every way. God apparently created the universe to take delight in His creation. Creation shows forth various aspects of His character, and He delights in it. There's a slight reflection in us. Do or make something, take joy. You know, if we do or make something, we take joy in it. Um, uh, who, who in here is a, a creative person? Anybody? Steve? What, what do you do? What's your What do you do creatively? I'm doing a basement remodel right now. Okay, so you're kind of a craftsman. Yeah. You can do that handiwork stuff. And when you get done, you take a lot of pride in what you've done, right? You mm -hmm. you like that. That's that's just, you know, it's nice to have nice things, but you take more joy in the fact that you did it yourself, mm -hmm. that you created this. And, you know, I've got, uh, I've got a daughter. Uh, my daughters are all kind of creative in that line. We've got one that's in art. And, and that's what she does. And, uh, you know, all of us take joy in, in what she creates uh, and things like that. But, you know, it could be working on a lawn, you know, manicuring a lawn. You can take joy in the fact that you, you've kind of sculpted, and, you know, the shrubs and all those things and have it looking nice. That's something that's wired in us as human beings that I think we get from our Father because Scripture indicates that this is the way God's driven and the way He's motivated, why He created what he created, and what he expects and wants from it. <clears throat> Cooking, same way. Man, I love those artists in the kitchen, don't you? 
Um, the universe God created, James said earlier, was very good. If God created the universe to reflect and show His glory, then it is, it is bound to do that. You would expect it to do that. Sin and brokenness currently mars creation and, and limits the ability for God's glory in its full flower bloom to be evident. You know, what we see, and even now, we see aspects of creation that take our breath away. We see aspects of, uh, you know, at night, as I've talked about the, the starry skies and the moons and all those kind of things, and the impact that that can have upon us. It, it can really, um, really move us, inspire us in a great way. And yet, it's all marred by sin and brokenness right now. And, but there's coming a time where God's going to renew it all and, and make it new again. Creation is one of the most uh, amazing things. You know, I was, uh, I was reading, uh, thinking about stars, that our galaxy, let's see, if you look up in the night, let's say you're, you get out far enough out of the city lights to where you can actually see the stars, but if you look up just with the naked eye, they say that you could see about 5,000 stars on any given night, okay? That's what you could see with the naked eye. Our galaxy... Our galaxy has 400 billion stars in it. 400 billion stars. Get your, get your mind around that. The, our sun is a star. 400 billion stars. And there are over 100 billion galaxies that they've identified. We're only one. Our solar system is just one of 100 billion 400 billion stars, you know, that, that kind of blows my mind thinking about the vastness, the power of God that he spoke it into. You know, and what he said in creation about the stars? Look. Where is it? Genesis 1. God said, la, 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 and God made the beast. Let's see, where does he make the stars? Expanse of heaven. God created the great sea creatures. God's living, boom, boom. God made the beast. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens and, and give light unto the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser night to rule the night. And the stars. That's all he says. He made the stars also. <laughs> yeah. And the stars. It's a byword. It's an afterthought. It's, it's phenomenal to me to think about it. 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5. Everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For then it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. You think about it. We don't talk about this. We think about the natural creation that God's made. But what about all the things that we enjoy in life that are a, a result, a direct result of God's creation? You know, I have glasses here that enable me to see when I look at a, at a page that, you know, somebody, somewhere, you, some of y'all probably know who, figured out how to do this, you know, and how to take things, elements that God had created in this, in this world and make eyeglasses to where we can do that. We can stick a little piece of plastic in our eyes and do the same thing. Um, 
you know, I was rummaging around today looking for some things, you know, just common things that we we have uh, all the time. Ah, hand cleaner, disinfectant, very important when you go out of the country, right? Sometimes it's always good to have one of these around the office too, especially when there's lots of kids running around sick, right? But, you know, this... This is, uh, I can't tell you how many trips I made to India, and this was the one thing I never left the room any day. You know, because I was gonna be out touching kids that hadn't washed their hands in three months, you know, and this gave me great confidence and assurance to go back and be able to squirt this on, and then take a couple of rags, disinfectant rags, and clean my hands after being out in the midst of all that. But it's good money. Paper, you know, comes from what, trees? Put a little ink on it that you get from some sort of plant somewhere that produces this ink can go on there and we can spend this and get something to eat when we're hungry, right? Thumb drive. It's got pictures from our rafting trip a couple of weeks ago on it, you know? This, this has got metal, it's got petroleum products because it's got plastic in it. This is something that we can, we can do a lot of work on a computer, we stick one of these in and put it all on here and carry it around. You know, this may, may have a filing cabinet on it, right? Could have that many documents on one of these that we can carry around in our pocket and lose. Toothbrush, everybody needs one of these in their desk, right? Mm -hmm. Toothbrush. One of God's greatest gifts to mankind. The ability to, that we don't have to chew on roots and stuff to clean our teeth. Or a bone like our dog. Pens. Tea. Anybody drink tea? It's got black tea, and if you're a health nut, I got green tea. You can have your choice. You ever been somewhere where they raise tea? Been up into the mountains of India where they where they raise tea up there. Man, I could live up there. It's a great, great gift from God. So God's, you know, you think about it, we think about stars and the suns and the planets and all that stuff, which is wonderful, but everything we have that we enjoy is a part of God's creation and gift to us. And to receive it, you know, not guiltily or um, to move into some sort of uh, asceticism that says, well, we can't, we're not supposed to enjoy these things, you know, we're supposed to be monks and move off up into some hardship living. That's not what God's intended for us. He's created these things to make our life uh, much more pleasant, enjoyable, and as long as we're giving thanksgiving and praise and worship to Him for them, then we should enjoy them. The relationship between Scripture and the findings of modern science. Okay, here we go. Christians often find themselves dissenting from contemporary science and its findings. What do we do when the Bible disagrees with science? When all the facts are rightly understood, and uh, uh, Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called No Final Conflict, and this is the thesis of it, is that he said that there's places where Christians can disagree about certain things uh, in the Scripture, you know, were these six literal days in, in the first chapter of Genesis that we're talking about, or did they represent a longer, larger period of time? And Francis Schaeffer said, he didn't say he agreed one way or the other, he just said 
there isn't adamant evidence to suggest that we have to lock into one or the other, that there's room for Christians even to disagree on what they believe about some of these, these kinds of things. And some of those were the age of the earth, the age of humanity, uh, gaps, you know, there are gaps in the narrative, gaps in some of the genealogies that have been discovered. So, you know, some believe that the earth, you know, that you go back to Adam and Eve and it's 4,000 years before Christ and, and now they would say, well, you know, maybe not. It could be as much as 10,000. Okay. You know, so if you're a young earth person, you say that the earth may be uh, 10 to 20,000 years old. Uh, others may say, no, it's millions of years old. And that the days were not 24-hour days, but they were long periods of time. Okay. You can play that game. I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, you know, you get to, uh, what is it, day four when he creates the lights, the expanse of heavens, the sun, and the moon. And yet, excuse me, the day before that, he created vegetation. And don't you need light to grow vegetation? So if it were eons, you know, how would that, I don't know. I'm not saying that it couldn't be done, but it, it doesn't seem to be uh, reasonable there. Some theories about creation seem clearly inconsistent with the teachings of Scripture. Uh, you get secular theories, uh, atheistic theories, and, and they would be theories where the origin of the universe does not see an infinite personal God as responsible for creating the universe by intelligent design. Things like evolution, things like the Big Bang, um, theistic evolution. Mentioned that earlier. What what is theistic theistic evolution? Well, it's not uh, not too different from uh, a deist worldview in that God created and then kind of set things in motion and has allowed things to evolve and He's given He reaches in and gives it a nudge or a bump here and there where it needs to to cause it to do certain things. The problem with theistic evolution is that its key component, when you're thinking about evolution, what's the key component? What's the major time? But, but the major thing is randomness. Chance. Yeah, chance. And randomness completely goes against everything God stands for, according to his word. God is a God of purpose. God is a, 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 a God of intention. God is a God of design. Not randomness and chance, you know, coincidence. And, and the very fact that if God has to put his finger in and bump and nudge creation, isn't that taking the randomness out of it anyway? So isn't it kind of a contradiction in terms well-meaning Christians have kind of developed this theistic evolution approach, and I don't think it's helpful. I don't, I don't agree with it much at all. Uh, I'm a purist. I go back to the Scripture. If the Scripture says it, I believe it. If it doesn't, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical. So theistic evolution. God created and creation has evolved with occasional help from God at crucial points. Uh, God has purpose, not randomness. God's word brings immediate response. Plants and animals reproduce after their own kind. God forms all living things. The special creation of Adam and Eve. Scientific problems with evolution. All these things kind of, kind of um, discredit it. 
uh, in my estimation. So current challenges to evolution. There is no macro evolution. There is no large species change that has occurred that anybody can prove, find the evidence. If they find one, okay, then we'll have something else to talk about. But all of it has been microevolution at its best. It's been small mutations, variances within the species is all that we've ever find. Even when they've been intentionally trying to do that, you know, with breeding techniques and, and those kind of things, right? Uh, yeah, what do you do with the, uh, what is it? You got the, uh, the horse uh, and the mule and you get a, um, donkey. A donkey? Okay. Huh? Horse and donkey. Horse and donkey, and you get the mule. Okay. So somebody might say, okay, well, there you got one, right? But it's still in the same family, isn't it? I mean, can we agree on that? It's still in the same family. Well, that's not evolution anyway. That's where. Well, but right, but you know, they're using anything they can get their hands on. The horse walked in one day and he walked out of you might walk in and say, hey, look what I met on the street. So this is a mule. It's going to be good for logging, for plowing. Um, the age of the earth, gaps in biblical genealogies, age of mankind, did animals die before the fall? You know, this is, um, you know, and I heard someone say, well, what about Adam and Eve? You know, they're in the garden. God says, all this is good for you to eat. So you're, you're pulling off a fruit and eating it. Did the fruit die? Sure, it had to die, right? So isn't there death? Romans tells us that, that one man was responsible for bringing sin into the world. That was Adam. And sin brought death. Um, and, and I believe this is, this is another one of those uh, proofs, evidences in my mind that for a young earth is that people want to talk about the gap theory Genesis 1-1 to 1-2, some people advocate for a large gap here. That actually what happens in, in verse 2 is a recreation, that you have, you have the beginning, in the beginning God created, and then down here you have formless and void, and then God began to speak things to happen. And some people try to impose this huge gap there where some destruction took place where sin maybe came into the world and death occurred and so God then came in and redid everything. But the problem you've got there is that when he gets through with this, everything's good and now we've got all these, all these dead bones somewhere in the earth's layers. It just seems to be a contradiction. You really are trying to jump through some hoops to try to make something work. So I, I think this is a, a poor effort and, and thinking about what Scripture tells us in Romans that sin came into the world through Adam and death came because of sin. So to, to make the case that there was death even among the animals of creation, I mean, because all creation was subject to the curse in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell. And that's the point that the serpent was cursed. All the animal kingdom, all the earth would now bring forth briars and, and weeds and tares and not just the fruit of the land but it would have to be tilled and worked. So it, it leaves a lot to be desired as well. Other theories, day-age theory we talked about, long days in Genesis, not 24-hour days. Um, 
there's a number of problems uh, with that theory. The framework theory is that that the, uh, the description of creation here in Genesis was not meant to be chronological necessarily, but to give us a framework of how God went about creating things. Um, mature creationism. That, uh, you know, people believe that when God created Adam and Eve, he created them as a mature man and woman. So it stands to reason that he would have done the same thing with all of creation. The trees would have been born uh, you know, might be a day old after God created them, but did they have rings? You know, how many rings did they have? Did they just have one? Did they have any? You know, so you can get into a lot of a lot of those kinds of questions, and uh, I do believe that there's place to be made there for a mature creation. There's also the questions about the flood and the impact that the flood had on creation. When you think about the pressures of a worldwide flood, that large body of water and what that could have done to uh, create fossils and, and um, uh, petroleum uh, caches and all kinds of things of that nature. So, uh, you know, when you look at the, the Grand Canyon, and I remember being out there a few years ago and hearing their mantra. I mean, you hear it everywhere you turn out there. Those, those uh, rangers are telling people, you know, this is what you have when you have a little bit of water over millions and millions of years. This is what happens. And I'm thinking, that's not what I see when I look at the Grand Canyon. What I see is a lot of water in a short period of time. I see violence, violence done to something, uh, not something that a trickle has done over millions and millions of years. I mean, maybe that's just me. So, um, did we get back to touch on any of this? What did we start out with going to talk about? Evolution, the micro, we, we dealt with that enough? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we talked about evolution and how this different mutation. And did we leave anything, did we talk about anything we were going to talk about that we, we didn't talk about? I don't want to leave, I don't want to leave you with questions here that I implied we were going to answer. Yes, sir. Hey, one thing that I think happens when we get into these discussions, whether they're young earth or whatever, that people want to lead us away from what it's really about, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Like, we can have these discussions, but that's really the, that's really the point. That's right. I, I love, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Ken Ham. Uh, Ken Ham's a great scientist, creationist. Uh, he's the guy up in, uh, is it somewhere in Louisville, Cincinnati? Somewhere there where he's built uh, the Creation Museum and the Ark and all those things. And I heard Ken, uh, many years ago, probably 20 years ago, um, he came to a conference where I was uh, I was in attendance, and uh, I was just fascinated to listen to him, uh, you know, share his thing. But but his number one question he asks when it gets down to people talking these things and saying, well, you know, millions of years ago when God, you know, when this happened or when that happened, and his question is, were you there? You know, the problem is we don't have any firsthand reports from anybody except God Himself. And so right now that's the only witness we have. Until somebody comes forward with proof that they were there, I'm going to go with, with you know, what God has said without any questions most of the time. I, I was just going to say it really creates a problem for me. What's that? It creates a problem for me. Which I'm, one? Which one what? You said something. What creates a problem? Um, the uncertainty about creation. Oh. Um, 
Because when I'm sharing my faith with somebody and I'm really getting into the scriptures with them and stuff, then they start asking, you know, what are the dinosaurs and, you know, how can you possibly accept, um, you know, Genesis as literal and um, therefore you can't say, accept the Bible as literal. And but but see, my question would be, how can you accept that dinosaurs are literal when we've never really found one uh, in, in total? Everything we have are, are computer generated. This is not a logical conversation. Right. But that's what, what it is, is, is that it's a distraction by the enemy. And so, right. you know, it's kind of the same question as where did Cain get his wife? Well, you know, can we talk? Here's the way you respond to that. You know, I'm not sure about all those answers, but can we come back to that later? This is more important right now. And we'll come back to that later. And just move on with them. And Cain probably married his sister, just for those of you who are wondering. Now that'll blow your mind, right? It's a theory. Science is a theory, and you can't prove it because you can't go back and redo it. That's the thing about science, is that science says you have to be able to recreate it. You have to redo it. Here's something to blow you mind. So you talk about all the billions of stars and galaxies and stuff. Uh -huh. Is there an end to it anywhere? Can yes. you eventually get to the, the, the billion star and go, oh, that's it. It's, see, it stops right here. What, what is so cool is there's so many stars out there. They've got businesses now. We bought one for my granddaughter. They'll sell you a star. Oh, yeah. There's a star out there with my granddaughter's name on it. Like that. Yeah. 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 Right, you'll name it. Yeah. yeah. You got a mask to it? Yeah, my daddy's got one. 